It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Not much, right? Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. So I guess the lockdowns are over, right? Seems like that is the case. Uh, Just given what happened this weekend all over America. By the way, do you think that the riots that we saw, the looting and such, and the protests and the demonstrations and the complete disregard for the lockdown orders, people breathing all over each other, people coughing and spitting all over each other, I mean, after the tear gas and pepper spray got fired, but do you think that all of that would would have been as bad Had it not been for the lockdowns for the last three months, do you think that people went a little bit crazier? I mean, people are crazy already, but do you think people went a little bit crazier because they were on lockdown for so long? I think it had a a large part to do with this sort of uh, the pressure valve release that this is that we saw some of um, over the weekend. Uh, and the reason I think that is because, uh, first off, I mean, everybody, I'm just watching people slowly degenerate into psychosis online with uh, each passing week of this uh, of the shutdown. Uh, but I also remember seeing uh, a fellow predict on Twitter a month ago, two months ago. He said, uh, be aware in your cities, it's going to be summertime. It's not going to be good. He was he basically predicted it. He didn't know obviously what was going to happen with, you know, this Minneapolis cop that killed George Floyd by, you know, putting his knee on the guy's neck for almost 9 minutes. Uh the universal outrage from law enforcement all across America, like really, I'm I'm not aware of a single law enforcement official that's uh defending what that cop did up in Minneapolis. Not a single one. It didn't matter, though. I'm not aware of anybody that has come to the defense of that cop and said, no, 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 it's fine. He had like 18 other complaints against him in the past. His wife filed for divorce and put out a public statement saying, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm seeking dissolution of the marriage and all of this. Uh, So I'm not sure, like, isn't that what you would want to see when a cop acts badly? And I'm not a like, I'm not going to defend the cop. He obviously killed a guy, and there's no reason for him to have been uh, sitting on the guy's neck for as long as he was. When he stops moving, there doesn't seem to be a need for you to continue to to do that. And somebody comes over and checks his pulse or whatever at some point, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, no, I'm fine. Like, nobody is defending this cop. Not that I'm aware of. And so what exactly then are... Are the people who are, you know, taking to the to the social media uh, and saying, you know, we demand justice. Well, the cop got charged. He's charged with third degree homicide and uh, or murder and um, second degree manslaughter. Right. So he's got two charges against him and he was arrested. And so I'm 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 trying to figure out, like, what then does justice mean? Isn't that what justice is? Equal justice under the law. The now, I don't know if the cop gets convicted or acquitted. It seems, you know, that's way down the road. But like what what exactly when people are marching here in North Carolina because a cop killed a guy in Minneapolis and they're demanding justice in North Carolina for that guy up in Minneapolis, then it seems to me like when the guy gets charged, that seems like justice, right? That's the justice system. The guy got arrested. He got charged. And now he's going to await trial. Right. Isn't isn't that the justice system? Or are we saying that there's some other justice system or some other concept of justice that's not uh, encapsulated or not covered by the charging of the cop for the murder? But nobody's talking about that. Uh, It's it's this sort of uh, passion play. It's it's all performative theater at this point. And I don't I don't fully understand I don't fully understand why uh, why people in the media pretend that there is, you know, some uh, some noble cause that is uh, achieved by destroying downtowns. I, I I don't know if it's fear. You're afraid to to call it out for what it is. I don't know. 
I, I don't know what this what the left's uh, adoration of Antifa is about. I have I, I don't understand it. The very same people who are covering for Antifa and man, I'll tell you, I spent the weekend and I know I shouldn't have done it and I kind of hacked off my wife about it. But like I spent the week just on social media, on Twitter, watching videos, seeing what was happening and engaging with predominantly leftists because they were making these assertions that it's some, it's some, it's the clan, it's the white supremacists. They're the ones who are all um, uh, doing all of the, the violence in order to make the Black Lives Matter folks look bad. This was their argument, and they really believed it. And when you start trying to ask them about Antifa, they block you. They they do not want to have any discussion about Antifa. And so what I started doing, I learned, go to their uh, social media profile and go look up who they follow and who follows them. And before you start engaging with them, you'll know immediately that they're pro-Antifa. They've got friends who are Antifa. They follow people who are Antifa. And so as soon as you start talking about the Antifa uh, group, as soon as you start trying to say, hey, look at all these you know, scrawny, limp-wrist, noodle-armed, uh, black-clad white people that are breaking windows and throwing bricks and engaging in violence and looting and rioting, like, as soon as you start seeing those people on the scene and you say, hey, look at those people, those look like the Antifa folks. Oh, look at their tactics. Look at that guy. He's got the red armband indicating he's the medic. He's there to help the Antifa people uh, if they get injured because they're organized like this. And so when you start pointing this stuff out, all of a sudden the people who are like, the organized white supremacists are doing this. I'm like, well, these guys look like Antifa. And they're like, block you, block you. They block you. They can't provide any evidence of their BS that it's some sort of clan uprising all incognito, though the clan they ditched the the white sheets and robes for you know black bicycle helmets and goggles, and uh, they're pretending to be leftists in order to give the left and Black Lives Matter a bad rap. That's what it's all about. This is their delusion. Either that, or they're gaslighting you. Either that, they are stupid, or they think you're stupid. Those are the options here. Those are the options. Now, I know you have a lot of options when it comes to purchasing a mattress. I do know this. There are a lot of stores that are out there. There are a lot of, uh, you know, national chains and stuff. And they sell mattresses. That's no doubt about it. They sell mattresses. But uh, I prefer to keep my money local when at all possible. And locally, that's Mattress Man. Chuck, who owns the Mattress Man stores here in the Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville area. Um, Great guy. Great business. And uh, he's in it for the right reasons. He tries to hire veterans. He makes it a point to hire veterans. He donates mattresses to local charities that need beds. And uh, he has free local white glove delivery service for local folks. Uh, The 120-day comfort guarantee, if for some reason you're not satisfied with the bed that you bought from uh, Mattress Man, uh, they'll replace it for you. You swap it out. The 120-day comfort guarantee. They do ship nationwide, by the way. Because here's the thing, they realize that getting a good night's sleep is really important. I mean, if you got to wake up and, you know, go loot and riot, you want to make sure you're well rested for that endeavor, right? Uh, And so having a good mattress, and I know I'm talking to sort of the trust funder, uh, Antifa folks, you know, they they all go back to their little uh, hipster uh, apartments, or they go back to live with, you know, mommy and daddy in their McMansions in the suburbs, and they're all protected, and they sleep on some good mattresses, right? But you can have a great mattress, too. You really can. You can get a Biltmore mattress. This is the uh, Biltmore Collection from Restonic. And uh, these are great mattresses made in North Carolina. Uh, They're called the Biltmore Collection because they're at the Biltmore. You can have one of these mattresses, and uh, you can only get them at Mattress Man. Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference. Buy local and sleep better. I also want to give a shout-out to all of the folks who help make the show possible. People like uh, Anamorpher and James and Michelle and Peggy, Jocelyn, Chris, Elk, LL, and Steven. I'm just giving the names. Like, these are the names people give me. I think that's actually Jonathan. But LL, 
And I don't, yeah. So those are the names of the some of the people that have become patrons of the show. You can go to patreon.com. And uh, if you support the show, you you get access to all sorts of cool stuff. You get the bumper stickers. You get access to the uh, to the live streams that we put up. So uh, we're, we're doing that now uh, starting once a week. We're doing the live stream. So if you want to participate in the program in a little bit of a different fashion, that's going to be available to you now as well. Um, so what do we have? Oh, Governor Cooper. Yeah, Governor Cooper. He did a press conference on Sunday. I'm not sure. I had heard rumors that North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper was uh, out of state at a fundraiser. And I'm not sure uh, anybody is going to bother to actually report on that. I am curious why it took so long after the riots erupted on you know Friday night and then Saturday night. And then finally on Sunday, he makes an appearance. And so maybe he was out of state. Maybe he was uh, somewhere else. I, I, like, I don't know. I mean, his comms team sent out some tweets on, I think, Saturday uh, that were sort of anandine, just very pedestrian tweets like, you know, oh, we're outraged and we want to hear you, something like that. I am kind of curious as well. Hang on a second. I have a, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here onto the, uh, into the show prep here. Okay. Yeah. So this is um, the Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles. And, uh, she said something uh, uh, to the uh, to the effect of, uh, you know, we're here to listen. This was Sunday morning, and we're here to listen with these other city council members. And, uh, yeah, you could take a listen. Today we had the opportunity to come out for a faith-based gathering about the terrible hurt and frustration we've had as a result of George Floyd's death and how it has manifested itself in Charlotte. We've had hundreds of people here today with a message that I'm listening carefully to the idea that we not only have to forgive, but we have to repent. And that's what's important that we're trying to do as a community. All right. What does that mean? I, I get the part about forgive and repent. I understand that. That's a personal thing. We, we all need to forgive and we all need to repent. That's a very personal thing. And we can, we can call for others to do so as we do ourselves. Uh, however, I, I'm not really sure... Like, what exactly is being said now, now that we've been seeing, I don't know, five years worth of these types of riots, these protests that turn violent right there? And they all start, it's kind of interesting, they all follow the same pattern. Have you noticed this as well? That there is some, you know, some white cop kills a black person, because it's never, well, I take it back, because the Keith Lamont Scott down in Charlotte, the Keith Lamont Scott riots were a black cop killing a black person. So there wasn't the racial component to it. But generally speaking, it's a white officer killing a black uh, suspect or person or unarmed, uh, you know, pedestrian or something. Just uh, a cop kills a person. Uh, then there is outrage. Then there are marches. And then uh, the marches initially are all peaceful. People are walking through the streets. They have the signs and they make speeches. They march on a place, towards a place, around a city, whatever. That's all fine. But then... The sun goes down, and all of a sudden it turns violent. Everything just starts going to heck, right? That's the pattern. It's the same pattern. It's been going on for years now. And uh, I I'm just kind of curious, like, what exactly do these largely Democrats in Democrat-run cities, Democrat voters, these are all, most of the violence that's occurring, it's all in these Democrat areas. So um, I I'm kind of curious, what don't you know at this point? What haven't you learned? What's the issue that uh, the Democrats still need to figure out in running their cities and their police departments? What is the thing that they still don't understand, that they're still needing to listen to protesters marching about? I'm not saying that the protesters uh, are not being clear in their message, but maybe they aren't. I, like, I, I don't know. I'm just unclear because I kind of understand what their argument is, is that the cops keep killing black men, right? That's my, uh, That's what I'm hearing. And that they're doing this because they don't know de-escalation techniques and all of that. But what exactly are the uh, the elected officials, these these elected Democrats, when they keep saying, you know, we're listening to you and we need to listen and we need to hear and we need to understand and listen some more? I've heard the same thing for years. I, what are you still What are you still listening for? Like, are are you are you thinking that there's going to be some sort of a, I don't know. Uh, a breakthrough moment where they've just said the same thing for now five years, six years in a row, and now it's like, oh, that's what you've been saying all this time. <laughs> I don't understand why it's taking you so long to understand what they're saying. 
It seems pretty obvious to me. But maybe you... Now, see, here's the thing. Maybe you have been listening. You have heard what their demands are, like some of the Black Lives Matter demands. We went over those a couple of years ago when they put out their manifesto, their list of demands. And some of the list of demands are frankly uh, insane. They're they're frankly insane. So um, maybe you've heard the list of demands and you reject them. This is one of the things, too, that drives me nuts in a lot of the political discussions with the left is that they say, oh, we just want to be heard and, you know, you need to listen and, you know, we're making our voices heard. Look, I've heard you. I disagree. Me listening doesn't require agreement just because you're saying stuff, right? And this is just across the board, not specific to this topic alone, but uh, just because you're saying stuff doesn't mean I have to agree. And the more you say something doesn't convince me. You can say something over and over and over and over again. It doesn't become more compelling by repetition, right? Now, in generally speaking, if you can't make a good argument for whatever policy position you're advancing, uh, you repeating that argument over and over again to me doesn't make me agree with you. And maybe the Democratic leadership in these cities, maybe that's that, that's where they're stuck, is that they've heard, they actually have listened but they can't agree. They don't want to agree. Or they think it's insane to agree. But they can't say that. They can't say they disagree. Because then that would challenge right, a part of their, their core voters. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to say, look, this is, this is crazy. You can't abolish police. Because that's, that's what Black Lives Matter wants to do. right? But, and I understand there are different chapters and all of this. And the manifestos and, and the, the demands written by one chapter don't necessarily uh, represent all of the demands of all chapters. But when they start putting out their, when they started putting out their list of demands a couple of years ago and I went over them, that was one of the things they were talking about. And it gets back to this um, this dilemma, this 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 systemic racism, institutional racism dilemma that we have here, that I as a white person, I don't know if you can tell, I am white, uh, I grew up white, uh, I still am white, and so um, I, I am put in this position of having to accept the premise that everything is racist and all the institutions and all the systems are racist, uh, rather than people. Because if you if you can identify a racist, then I can condemn that racist. But when you say it's the institution or it's the system, well, now, what am I what am I aiming at? What's my target? Right. It's a very convenient escape hatch. It's a way to just get people angry at something and then not have a solution. So we're in this perpetual state of anger, because if you tell me, hey, look, this guy's a racist, that guy's a racist. Okay, so they're doing racisty things because those two guys are racist all right well let's let's remove them from whatever positions of power they have because we don't want racists doing that kind of stuff right but if you're telling me that the whole system is racist and i say okay well how do we get at that and well uh you got to basically abolish police okay well that doesn't seem like the answer at all here's an answer but i recognize i recognize that as a white person my advice on this matter is worth nothing Okay, and that's the other part of the dilemma is that I'm being told I have to address these things, but also my opinion of how to address them doesn't matter because of the color of my skin, which, by the way, sounds kind of racisty. But uh, here's an idea: if the I if you're trying to eliminate the prejudice, the racism, the bigotry among police officers against African Americans, then how about getting more African Americans? on the police force. That seems like, I don't know, it seems like a pretty obvious solution, and it's not one that I've thought of myself. I know, like, police departments all over America, they're always trying to recruit minority officers, right? They want more officers of color. Why? So when they go out into the community, right, they're not seen as the other, which, again, is kind of a racisty thing, but they're not seen as an outsider. They're not seen as the white cop. They're seen as, you know, the guy from the neighborhood. Oh, that's, you know, Martha's boy who grew up and now he's a cop, right? And he's black and he's from the community. Everybody knows him because he's local, whatever. Like, that's the idea, right? Well, okay, if that is a potential solution, I'm not saying it's the solution, but it's one of a suite of solutions. If that's if that's a, a, a potential problem solver, then maybe we shouldn't, I don't know, be trying to discourage African-Americans from becoming cops. 
maybe we shouldn't uh and by i say we but like this idea that like if you're uh you're growing up in an african-american community and then they're going to be like oh i want to be a cop and all of a sudden like oh you can't be a cop i would never want my kids being cops oh my gosh you know you lose all respect from people and all this so how do you get at that i can't help you with that right i like Again, my advice on this topic is worth nothing. So what am I to do? I'm just supposed to sit back and just uh, provide allyship to whatever it is that your demands are, right? That's what's being requested of or demanded of me, that I'm either on your side or against you. And that means I have to agree with whatever you say, because if I disagree, well, I have an opinion that's worth nothing because of the color of my skin. So you're putting me into a position where I can't win or have any influence except just to be a follower, just to be led around. And I'm not going to do that. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I know, like, I, th- I don't think most people want to do that. This is a false construct is what it is. It's a false construct. And it's a construct, I suspect, uh, but based on research, I suspect it's a construct that has been developed in order to simply foment discord. That's the point. It's it's political, because if you start going into the literature of uh, the the thought leaders inside Black Lives Matter, and you go into the literature of the people who are you know uh, uh, leading like Antifa, you don't have to scratch the surface very deeply in order to come across socialism. You really don't, and that's really what this is about. This is and that's what Antifa is about. That's what the anarchists about. I call them temporary anarchists because they're not real anarchists. They're just temporary anarchists. They want anarchy for a little bit of time, uh, just so all of the uh, you know the the system of capitalism, free market capitalism, that that can all be torn down, and then uh, they can usher in the utopia of socialism that has never been tried before on the planet. But we're going to totally get it right this time. So uh, that's the that's the end game for all for all of those folks, the Antifa folks. Right, the neo-Marxists, like th- this is this is what they want. A lot of Democrats say you got to tear down the free market system. And gee, after you know three months on lockdown, uh, a near collapse of the economy, and before it can open back up, now all of a sudden we're going to just loot and destroy all of the means of commerce. By the way, what do you think happens to the housing patterns in cities after this? I, I will tell you. Uh, whereas my wife and I, we had an apartment and lived in uptown Charlotte. We wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want to do that again. Not in today's climate. And we, we enjoyed the urban, uh, environment. We enjoyed living in a city, being able to walk around. I don't know if I do that anymore. Unless I'm on the very outskirts and I'm able to like, you know, get away pretty quickly. Um, do you think this, do you think cities get better or worse after this? And who does that benefit? Who does that benefit? I've seen enough video clips of um, of local folks who happen to be black, but local folks in these cities confronting these, you know, lily white Antifa thugs, uh, confronting them uh, as they're destroying the black community, literally breaking it apart with bricks and hammers and crowbars. People brought Molotov cocktails and such to these uh, to these protests. You know, they're destroying these neighborhoods and these downtown districts, they're destroying them. Why? In order to usher in the more perfect society that they believe is best for everybody. And the only way to do that is to collapse everything. And so they, they see an opportunity right now. They see an opportunity. And if you don't think that's happening right now, you're not paying attention. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice on how to be prepared for one? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He's going to hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. It's American-made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouch is on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. 
Also, this show is made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. I have had good realtors. I've had experience with not-so-good ones. Rowena and her team... They're good ones. They're great ones, actually. They outsell 99% of the real estate agents in the entire state, okay? Call the only agent that I would call if I'm looking for a house or if I'm looking to sell my house. Call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. And finally, the show is also made possible by Schaefer Smith. Have you seen the logo of the Pete Callender Show? He did that. If you're trying to set up your website, maybe you need a logo, call my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design. He can help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He does this for professional services, corporations, small businesses, entrepreneurs. If you know now the importance of having a good functional website, Get in touch with Schaefer Smith. Make your site look professional, user-friendly for both your customers and you so you can uh, navigate it and fix it and adapt to whatever the market demands. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So the governor of North Carolina called up the National Guard to help all of these cities like Raleigh and Charlotte and Fayetteville, which, by the way, did you see that they burned... um, the the market house in Fayetteville, which is it's the it's the old slave market, which I mean, honestly, if you're picking targets to destroy, it makes way more sense to hit that building right than the subway, right? Like the the subway sandwich shop. It For real, it just it makes more sense to me. I'm not saying I condone it, but I understand the logic behind that attack anyway um and that is where you saw probably the video of the the protester with the molotov cocktail trying to uh set the place on fire and they they threw it and it's kind of that's it's a tricky thing throwing a bottle full of gasoline and when you got fire all around you and they caught themselves on fire so um yeah that came out of fayetteville as well but the national guard has been called up we are one of 15 states as i uh count them to uh, have the guard called up um here's an interesting question um does the police being all geared up, and I've been asking this ever since these riots first started, their police presence in the riot gear, does that increase tensions, making conflict more likely? What do you think about that? Does that actually happen? Because I go back and forth on that. I can actually see both sides of that uh, of that argument. And again, not that I'm condoning any violence, but do, does it increase the tensions if you're out there marching along like we demand justice, then all of a sudden all these people show up and they're all geared up for a riot. Um, does that increase tension? Because it seems to me, and I understand why they gear up like that, like for protection and all of that. I understand. Um, but isn't that the same sort of thing when the Antifa people show up and they're all geared up for a riot? You're conveying a message that you're ready for this thing to occur to get violent, right? Um, I did find this kind of comical. Hang on a second. Let me first. Here's. I'd like police experts to weigh or to explain the strategy of standing in a line in riot gear like this. And then there's a picture of what, you know, of cops in riot gear in Raleigh. And uh, that was posted up onto the Twitter machine. I'd like police experts to explain the strategy of standing in a line in riot gear like this. And uh, okay, fair question. And so I helpfully, because you know me, I'm a giver. And I said, uh, well, maybe, you know, if only there was a, a way to get answers to questions like this, and uh, then maybe we could spread that information around to more people. Maybe it could be a profession or something, like people could get paid, probably not well, but you could get paid to inform the public about stuff like that. Like, oh, here's an interesting question, let's get it answered, and then let's spread that information all around. I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but maybe we could have professions that seek to find answers. And I sent this to the person who asked the question, uh, the person being Travis Fain, the reporter from WRAL. That's, yeah, that's what he literally asked on Twitter. It's unbelievable. Um, Governor Cooper held a news conference. This was on Sunday, May 31st. Again, I'm not sure if he was out doing fundraisers out of state, but uh, he finally got around to doing a press conference on Sunday afternoon, and here it is. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining today's briefing. I'm here today to talk about the call being sounded right now across our state and our country 
to stamp out the persistent and ugly flames of racism. The unjust killing of George Floyd less than a week ago, combined with many other recent and distant events, broke open painful wounds. These scars mark generations of trauma that black people and other communities of color continue to suffer. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to do this throughout his press conference here, but one of the things I always say whenever we start talking about race relations, and there are a lot of white people who say, why can't they just get over it? Talking about black folks, right? Why can't they just get over it? And I just want, I always offer this example. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody your age, um, but instead of being white, you're black. And let's say your grandparents were alive, or maybe you were, but your grandparents were alive uh, at a time when they simply wanted to drink from a water fountain, sit at a lunch counter, go into a hotel, get a room or something, not have to use a separate entrance, wanted to vote, wanted to go to school, right? Some of these basic things, and they were denied those basic things. And not only that, when they, when they attempted to try to get those things, when they tried to get the equality that they sought, and, and deserved, then the government released dogs on them, turned fire hoses on them, beat them. Uh, law enforcement did that. White folks did it and were never charged. White folks did these things to black folks, either behind the security of a badge or not, but either way, not prosecuted. So if this is your experience with law enforcement and uh, the government and the judicial system, if that's been your experience, what do you think you teach your kids? And what do you think they teach their kids? Because that's how many generations away from that we are. It's not that long ago. Is it any wonder why they have certain attitudes towards law enforcement? Now, that's not to deny that there absolutely is a culture of criminality that is celebrated, not just in the black community, but in America. And so when you get, as Chris Rock would say, you get more respect coming out of jail than you do uh, coming out of college, like that's a problem. And the people who benefit from undermining confidence in the law enforcement system are the criminals who then get the run of the neighborhood, right? So there are a lot of dynamics at play here, but I always point, I always bring up this example because it is important, I think, to keep this in mind. It's not an irrational fear of law enforcement and government. And libertarians and limited government people should be the ones who most appreciate this of any race. Okay. Trauma that is too often gone unrecognized in our country. We've had moments of heightened awareness, some right here in our own state but they faded from the headlines too fast. We've made some progress, but when you see George Floyd on the ground begging for air, you realize that we have so much more work to do. Again, um, this guy, like even as he's delivering this, he sounds like he's giving some sort of a, a pep rally to, to first graders, doesn't he? It, it's just it, so frustrating. Um, it's not a matter of fading from headlines and therefore work isn't being done. I mean, way to dismiss all the work that actually, you know, people are actually doing on this uh, issue. That's what he's saying, right? He's saying, oh, it's not in the headlines. We're not doing it. It's their feeble attempt to say to their base, we understand. We, we totally understand. But here's the problem. Here's the problem that the uh, Black Lives Matter folks are going to have is... You keep voting for the Democrats. They're in charge of all these cities. They're running all of the policies. Like, nothing is going to change when you keep putting the same people in charge. And that means you're going to have to actually offer your votes and support up to somebody other than the one party that you guys vote for 90% of the time, right? Like, 90% of African-American votes goes to Democrats. And until you're willing to throw your votes up for grabs and get wooed by the other political party, nothing's going to change for you. And I'm sorry to say that, but nothing's going to change for it. It's just, I, I don't see it. Because you're not, you're, not, you're not giving the Democrats any risk of losing your support. They know they have you. The worst that the, the worst that you'll do is just stay home and not vote. That's the worst, because in their in their world, the the absolute most worst thing you could do would be to not not only not stay home, but to go vote for their opponents to actually put your votes in play. Then you would have power. 
most powerful. This is this is what they okay. So Supreme Court, right? The most powerful vote is the swing vote, right? What do you think happens if you have twelve percent of the population, much larger, obviously, in different cities and states, but uh, a demographic that can swing an election? You become the people that get courted. You become the people that are most valuable because if you've already got, you know, half of the white population voting Democrat, half of the white population voting Republican, you now become the swing. You can get a lot of stuff. But when you always promise your votes to one side, you're, you're alienating the other side. You, you get nothing if they win. But this is a strategy that you'll never hear espouse because it, it undermines like nobody ever examines this like in a media setting nobody will ever explore these uh these options that could be available and, and could actually make the black vote way more powerful uh, powerful in our politics they won't do it they haven't i haven't seen it so anyway for people of color these are not just cable news headlines though they're life and death warnings they are stark instructions from parents to children about how to stay safe in their own communities and how to stay safe during encounters with law enforcement. They are heartbreaking memorials for people who should not be dead. George Floyd should be alive, along with many others. All of us should have done more to protect them. Okay. Here's a way to protect people from uh, cops abusing authority. You want to hear it? Pretty simple. Affects everybody. Um, pass fewer laws. Fewer laws equals fewer interactions with law enforcement because fewer people would be breaking the laws. See how that works? You can't pass a lot of laws, uh, GovCo supporters, like people who want to see government get bigger and bigger and bigger and do more in our lives. The more the state does, the more laws it needs to do it, which means you have more interactions with law enforcement, which means more opportunities for this kind of uh, tragedy to occur. Right? Another connection that is never made when discussing these topics. In a number of cities across our state over the past two days, protesters gathered to seek justice for them and for themselves and their children to call for changes to the systemic problems that have allowed racism to endure. Many brought their children with them to show the importance of calling for action. Their children with them. See what I mean? Like this delivery. Could you imagine if the guy was better at delivery? Delivering these lines? I've said this before during the COVID, uh, uh, COVID news conferences. Because sometimes his team, I know they're sitting around, they, they write these slogans, these sentences, and they're like, man, this is going to just be awesome. Because somebody wrote this stuff out for him, right? And the language, the, the words that he's reading, they're not terrible. They're just delivered so poorly, so poorly. <laughs> you got to believe that's frustrating for the writer, for the author <laughs> of, the, of the speech. Unfortunately, today, the headlines are not about those protesters and their calls for serious, meaningful change. They are more about riots and tear gas and broken windows and stolen property. That's wrong and must be stopped. But I fear the cry of the people is being drowned out by the noise of the riots. Let me be clear about one thing. People are more important than property. Black lives do matter. All right, so this sentence uh, caused a bit of uh, problems for the governor on social media. Um, people's you know, lives, people are more important than property. If that's the case, then why are you deploying the National Guard? Why? What's the purpose? Right? Why not just let them have the streets? Because if they're all just there to riot and loot and burn stuff and take everything, then um, the, generally speaking, they're not attacking each other, right? So just tell everybody, stay home. All you business owners, stay home. Don't protect your business. You're not going to be open anyway. I mean, we shut you down for three months. You're, you're hanging on by a thread. So this will do you. Uh, you're done. So just stay home. Let it burn because prop, uh, property is not as valuable as lives, right? People are more important than property. But then why does he call up the National Guard? 
See, this is what I mean. The guy's trying to have it both ways. Like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to take any strong stance. And this is what kills me about the whole Black Lives Matter Antifa uh, 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 dilemma. This conundrum that Democrats find themselves in. Like they're, like they want to be able to praise the Black Lives Matter folks, but they don't want to, con- or they don't want to come out too strongly against the looting. They're like, oh well, we understand because looting is basically done by locals. Okay, the violence is precipitated by Antifa people. They agitate uh, in these protests and these crowds. But then everything that happens, it's not all Antifa, right? They're not the ones that commit all of the violence. They help start it. They whip it up. They break stuff and they they throw the first brick in order to break the window to get everybody all riled up. But uh, after that, mostly that's a local phenomenon. The people that are looting, right? That's not Antifa. The Antifa people aren't running into into the target to steal phones and such. Right. They're not going taking clothing and diapers like that's not that's not what they're in it for. They're in it for uh, the violence to tear down the whole system. What I've never understood, though, is why Democrats can't can't single out. This is a great opportunity for them to do it, although now Donald Trump has called them a terrorist organization. So now Democrats will be defending them because Trump. Uh, but this would have been a great opportunity to say Antifa are not your allies. They're not your friends here. Black Lives Matter you guys were doing your protests, your marches. That was all fine. It was all peaceful. We stood with you. We marched with you. We prayed with you. We agree. We want to work with you, all of that. But then you go to the other camp, and it's this Antifa camp, and they just can't bring themselves to denounce them. They can't name them, right? They can't uh, They can't call them out. And they can't say, you guys are the agitators. You're the ones doing it. They can't do it. They'll talk about, quote, outside agitators, as if it's all these people who just, you know, uh, came from across the city limit, you know, and showed up in town. (laughs) And uh, they're like, oh, hey, what's going on here? Now, I'm not denying there are people that do do that. But it seems to me, just politically speaking, from a messaging standpoint, it seems to me like if you had just called out Antifa, you get to you get to have some distance, some clear daylight between Black Lives Matter, peaceful protesters and Antifa violent insurrectionists and we're not with them they're the ones they're the bad guys and it could have given you this space but they can't do it they just can't bring themselves to do it the day that roy cooper utters the word antifa um i don't know what do i what what should i do i was gonna say something like i'll eat my hat but i don't want to eat a hat if he ever for some reason does mention the word antifa i just don't think he's ever going to do it I don't think he's got it in him. I don't think his comm staff has it in him because I think they're all sympathetic to Antifa. I think they know people who are Antifa. I think they know people that are part of the insurrection. And if you doubt me, look at what happened in Minneapolis when the, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, Keith Ellison, he's got the Antifa handbook, took a photo of it. Uh, he's the attorney general, and his kid is putting out pro-Antifa messaging. They can't do it. This is their, they look at Antifa as their allies. So they, they can't hang them out to dry. Maybe they will. I don't know. They hang other constituencies out to dry um, if it serves a greater purpose. But the, the fact that it's a very clarifying moment right now. You're seeing Democrats that are just incapable of identifying who is agitating and who is creating the violence. And they just can't bring themselves to do it. All right, back to the press conference. Throughout this weekend, I've been briefed by emergency management and public safety officials. State resources have been provided to support the response. Across the state, we saw a pattern in some of our cities. Protests and demonstrations held earlier in the day that remained focused, powerful, and nonviolent. Then as night set in, a different crowd shifted to a more aggressive, more disruptive display. Who could it be? Storefront windows and government buildings were damaged. By who? Retail stores were looted. Hmm. Small businesses already struggling under COVID-19 were damaged. I communicated with some of them today. And people were out there helping them clean up. Good. Fires burned. A civil rights museum, the site of the 1960 Woolworth sit-in, was damaged. And for a short time, a major highway was shut down. Violence and destruction is unacceptable. In many ways, those actions undermine peaceful pleas for justice. 
I am so thankful for those who passionately demonstrated and for the EMS workers, the law enforcement officers, and the municipal officials who provided a space for voices to be heard. It was sometimes an exhausting and fearful night for them. All right. So did you hear that? He said he wants you know uh, to give credit for the municipal officials who gave people the room and space and time to make their points to be heard. And again, I come back to this question of what didn't you already know? What points are they making that they haven't already made? They're literally saying the same thing over and over again. Police need to stop killing black people, right? It's the same argument. It's the same message. Nothing has changed. So I, I'm unclear. I, I'm unclear as to like why you're, you're crediting the municipal officials, your fellow Democrats, for giving them space to, to listen, to make their points, rather. And so the the Democrats could listen because I I don't know, maybe Democrats just don't understand what they're saying for the last half a decade. We're fortunate, however, that none of these incidents resulted in death or critical injury. And I'm thankful for all of those who worked so hard to keep the peace. I've spoken with the mayors of Raleigh, Charlotte, Greensboro, and Fayetteville. Their requests for state support in the form of Highway Patrol, SBI, and National Guard are being fulfilled. I've urged these mayors to work closely with their police departments to prioritize de-escalating tensions. Uh And I've encouraged them to meet with protest organizers in their cities to continue the dialogues that they already have been having so wait, wait a minute. So you're encouraging Democrats to keep talking to their base. That's what he's saying. And he says, uh, I, I, I'm encouraging you to use de-escalation tactics. You're encouraging Democrats to use de-escalation tactics. Well, I, I'm a, it, it's so amazing to me that all of these events are occurring in Democrat-led cities. Republicans haven't controlled what Minneapolis in 50 years or so. Right? This this idea that somehow or another all the police are racist and they're 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 um, operating in a racist system. It's controlled by you guys. And you're supposedly not the racists. Which is it? You can't have it both ways here. I don't think, although they're going to try and they're going to get some they're going to get the assist from their folks in the in, in the media. But uh, I, I don't understand the logic. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, what do I know? I'm just a podcaster. And open dialogues with others that they haven't been having. They have tough jobs. And we want to help. We must stop this destruction. But I want to remind everyone of something vitally important. We cannot focus so much on the property damage that we forget why people are in the streets in the first place. All right, this this line here uh, sent me into a bit of a rage. Uh, and by rage, I mean, uh, you know, just strongly worded tweets. But um, this idea that uh, we've lost focus, we, sh- we, we can't let the damage, the destruction, uh, make us lose focus off of why the people are marching. This is absolute stupidity, okay? I don't know what comms person out of the 17 million that he's got on staff wrote that line. Uh, You need to be fired. You're an idiot. It's such a dumb line. Um, You're now, because what's happening now, the destruction is prompting other people who were not down there. It's prompting other people to show up to defend their property. And you may want to say that their property isn't worth anything. It's worth a lot to them. They've built a business. They've spent their entire life building something and what is time what is that money what is that property that they have invested so much in what does that represent it's chunks of their life they have traded chunks of their life time they spent their time doing something building something and you come along and destroy it you're wiping out and negating parts of their lives and i know the left doesn't like to look at it like that but that is what is occurring Money is just a unit of barter. And at the end of the day, we're all bartering chunks of our lives. And that's what those folks are now showing up to defend. 
and you're starting to see it now. You're starting to see people with weapons defending their property because the government won't do it. There's a, I saw a tweet. There was a fellow who, uh, where is it here? Hang on. Uh, yeah. Scott Barry Kaufman. He says, I just called the police because there was a dangerous standoff between my neighbor and some protesters. And I got this response, quote, sir, the city is under attack. Do what you have to do. And they hung up. That was the 911 dispatch or the operator. Do what you have to do. The city's under attack. And uh, another fellow named Andy Swan replied uh, that well, the gun debate's over. <laughs> it is. If you're not if you're not pro Second Amendment after this, you're an idiot. Um, got an email from NC who says in Fayetteville, my house, uh, I'm in Fayetteville. He says, and, uh, my house is within a couple miles or less of downtown. Just watched the emergency city council meeting about the looting of, uh, what is called the shopping district. The police chief spoke a while and I have never seen a less impressive person in a command position. Uh, and as a speaker makes Ray Cooper sound articulate. That's pretty tough okay but i heard cooper's reaction to the fayetteville looting was a tweet and that he's in california fundraising that can't be true can it if it is please spread that far and wide funny how the wuhan virus has taken a back seat to justice uh yeah the lockdown's over uh i don't know how anybody's going to be willingly uh submitting to those orders any longer um this idea though that we are uh that we we can't um that he's afraid that we're losing our focus that uh, on why the people were in the streets. Yeah, that tends to happen when you start lighting crap on fire, okay? Uh, and please, Governor, tell us, what is the appropriate amount of focus I'm supposed to pay to the rioters and the looters and the assaulters, like the violence that's occurring in the cities all across the state and country? Tell me, how much focus am, am I supposed to put on that? Okay, because like my, my understanding of what happened up in Minneapolis was that a guy was killed by a cop and now the cop has been charged with the murder. And so now I'm supposed to not lose focus of that. Meanwhile, everything is burning around me. This is unreal. This like I've said this during the covid uh, crisis. I said it before. I'll say it again. People in the media need to start entertaining the idea that this guy is not very good at managing crises, okay? You need to just let the thought into your head for a second that maybe he's not that good at this. And this is another example of it. Although I'm sure they just got all weak in the knees over his uh, scripted comments uh, about how, you know, give them room and space and black lives do matter just delivered in a, you know, patently poor fashion as he does. Racism, excessive use of force, health disparities, poverty, white supremacy. These are wrong. They are ugly, but they are present. We must deal with them. No mention of Antifa. Yet again, no mention of the people fomenting the violence. He just either he doesn't know about it, he doesn't see it, or as I suspect, the people on his comm staff probably know Antifa members because Antifa is so embedded in the Democratic Party now. That's why you don't hear them talking about Antifa. That's why even if the president's executive order, whatever it was, the declaration of Antifa as a uh, as a terrorist organization, domestic terrorist organization, even with that, you're going to uh, see uh, Democrats not even mention this this entity, right? Because think about it, like, you give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they just don't know Antifa exists, right? Well, they should now, maybe you should look into that. Local officials, right? Just an idea, just spitballing here. But like I said, I'm just a podcaster, which I know you've listened to. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Thank you for all of the support. Uh, and uh, head on over to the PeteCalendarShow.com. Check out all of the links, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. No. Well.